0: Now we're going into James chapter 2 today. And, but last week, uh, what did we learn? We learned the importance of being three things. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now the problem is we live in a society today where um, we're taught that our opinion is the most important opinion. What we want is what's most important. So most of the time, every day everybody is, is, quick to sp- or, uh, everybody is, is slow to hear. They don't listen to other people because their, their opinion is more important. They are quick to speak, and they're quick to anger. You know, we get offended at everything. I mean, we live in a society so now that, that, man, everything is offensive. And everybody just wants a reason to get upset and make a bunch of noise. But the Scripture says, and James says, you know, we need to be slow to speak, and begin to listen to other people, care about what other people want and think. And, and actually, there's other scriptures that say that we should consider everyone else as more valuable than ourselves. If everybody thought that way, think how much better this world would be. We also learn that we need to be doers of the word, and this is a tough one, because this is starting to say that, hey, if, if you actually believe this stuff, you know what, there should probably be some evidence of it. We should see some changes in your lives. Now, I understand that when you get saved, some people, it's like a light switch. I've seen people that get saved, and man, they're free from everything, and they're on fire. And then there's, there's people like me that are a little bit slower, and it took 20 years or so to figure it out. And, uh, uh, but as long as there's, there's progress, as long as we're moving forward... Then, then that's what we're looking for. And we want to be doers of the word and not just, you know, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? And the truth is, James says, if we're hearers only, we're just deceiving ourselves. Somehow, we're accompanying ourselves and say, oh, well, I come to church on Sunday. That should be good enough. And we don't have any real faith. We don't have any real thing to stand on. And we're actually deceiving ourselves. Because if you have real faith, faith that grabs a hold of you, it it produces inside of you a change. And you're going to see evidence for that. And we'll look at that actually a little bit more today. And then he says if we're doers, we'll actually be blessed in our doing. If we would just walk out the word of God in our lives, God will touch you and he will bless you. Amen? And then the last thing that we learned uh, last week was that we have to bridle our tongue. And you guys, anybody familiar with horses know what a bridle is? A bridle, if you're not, is, is what they put on a horse, the reins attached to it. And a bridle is what actually, when you, when you, when you turn the reins, it actually turns the horse's head and it makes them go whatever direction they are. So what he's saying is, is control your own tongue. And he says, if we don't control our tongue, we're also deceiving ourselves. And what he's saying, in other words, is that what comes out of our mouths is a window to our hearts. You'll speak the things that you believe. And we see that every day, not just in church, but, man, you know if somebody likes the Patriots, because, you know, they're wearing a a jersey to church and she'll tell you about it. So, but what comes out of our, our, our mouths is actually a window to our hearts. You know, So we should be, be, be speaking the Word as well and speaking life and not speaking death or, or, or just mean stuff or bring, tearing people down. We should be encouraging people, lifting them up. We should be telling people about Jesus and speaking the Word of God because we need to take control of our tongue because what we say is evidence of what's in our heart. Amen? So that was the quick recap, and now we're going to go ahead and get started into James chapter 2. And this is James chapter 2. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Do you know that how we see people should be based entirely and solely on Jesus Christ? That's, that, when we look at people, we should just see Jesus. The problem is, is that's not how we see people, unfortunately. And that's one of those things that we have to get a hold of. We've got to stop looking at people and making those snap judgments based off of of the clothes that they wear, or the people that they're with, or the car that they drive, or the job that they have. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in that. Hallelujah. My uh, iPad keeps spinning on me here. I need to fix that here. There we go. And... Uh, yeah we have to we have to look at people and see past all that stuff and realize that we can 't treat people differently just because of the stuff that 's been going on and Before I go too much into this, I want to be to be clear that i 'm not talking about acting unwisely. you know if somebody comes in the building and they' they 're there to harm us, then obviously we need to do what we need to do to be safe right You guys are hearing what i 'm saying we, we need to act wisely but we also need to make sure that when people come in, just because they're dressed more poorly than we are, they don't have the stuff that we have, that we're not treating them differently. I mean, you hear stories all the time of, of big churches, you know, these, these mega churches where their pastor will actually dress up as a, as a homeless person. And they'll come in and, and he'll see how his congregation treats him. And then, you know, there's always the big reveal at the end where he stands up and takes off the, the clothing. Everyone can see that it's him and everybody feels terrible. We should never be in a position where we ever feel terrible. We should show people love. If they're not in here doing something uncouth, if they're, being, if they're not being inappropriate or they're not hurting people, then we need to show them love. And we need to see them as Jesus sees them. And, and this is a hard one because sometimes stuff gets tough. We used to have a, uh, a uh, at the Tucson church, there was a man that used to come to the church and he was a convicted sexual predator. He was on the sexual predator's list. He obviously had made some massive mistakes in his life. But he came to know the Lord, and he gave his life. Now, the church acted in wisdom, right? We have to protect our children. So he was never allowed to be alone with any children. He was never allowed to be alone in the church, period. We, they acted in wisdom, but we still showed him love. We still let him come in because God still loves him, and God can forgive them for anything. Now, some of you right now are already reeling inside going, wait a minute, you guys let someone like that in the church? And that's something you have to get in check because the truth is God still loves them just as much as he loves you. And like I said, we're not gonna act unwise, we're not gonna put our children in danger, we're not gonna put people in danger, but we still need to view people as Christ in them. If they're repentant, if they've been touched by God, if they've been saved, then we should only see Jesus in them. Because the truth is there's stuff that you guys have done in your life that, that nobody knows about that, that if we knew we'd be like, You can go sit over there. And that's just reality. But we need to keep that in check and understand that when we see people, that we see Jesus in them, amen? And we need to make sure that we're not judging books by their covers. I mean, let's be honest. Most of you, I wouldn't let in if we were doing that. <laughs> but Jesus didn't judge by appearances. He didn't judge by what people did. In Matthew 22 through 16, it says, And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Jesus didn't care what they looked like. Matter of fact, Jesus usually went to the ones that looked bad because at least they were open to receiving him. They went out to kill him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16-17, it says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold the new has come. Did you know that without Jesus, we're actually all in the same boat? We're all in that camp that shouldn't be allowed inside the door. Without Jesus, we're, we're, we're just as broken as everybody else. With just as much failures and shames and sins that have stacked up behind us, but in him, that, that stuff is dead and gone. We're made brand new. So when you look at people that are saved... You need to think, wait a minute, that's some stuff that you, especially if you used to know them, that's the hardest part. Like, I know when, when friends that I used to know or, or my parents, when they first, my sister, when I first found out I was going to be a pastor, they're like, yeah, we kind of know who you were. This isn't going to work out. But I was changed. I was, I was given a new life inside of me. I was made brand new. And the same is true for all of you, especially if, if you weren't always a Christian and did the crazy stuff. As soon as you become a Christian, your friends look at you a little bit differently. They're like, wait a minute, You're cra- I know who you used to be. And you just got to tell them, no, you know, yeah, exactly, you know who I used to be. That man is dead and gone. He's not here anymore. And the same is true with everyone else. And we can see them as Christ inside of them. We can see them just like God. When God looks down at us, he doesn't see the old person. He sees Jesus. And that's how we should see people as well. Without Jesus, we have nothing and we're all lost. But with Jesus, we're made perfect. Brand new creations. And not only do we need to recognize this about ourselves, which is super important, you need to recognize that about yourself as well. We need to recognize about that in others. We were given the Spirit of God inside of us, and this changes who we are, and it changes how we behave. If you've been saved, you'll notice in your life it'll begin to change how you behave. I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in others, when all of a sudden you're like... Wait a minute. I didn't actively to try to change something, but there was something that I used to be interested in. There was something that I used to do and all of a sudden it just I don't have any desire anymore. It's just gone away. You see, that was my failure when I when I was young, that like I said I was had twenty years on the start line is because for twenty years I kept trying to fix everything myself and I, I was I was terrible at it. I don't know about you guys if you guys have ever pulled it off, but I can only pull it off for you know sometimes, you know, hours at a time. <laughs> And then I was back to the old, old stuff. But then God got a hold of me. I spent time in his word and he placed a new spirit inside of me. And then one day, like stuff that I used to care about, I just didn't. And I didn't try to change it. But it's because he was working inside of me. God doesn't see any partiality from the beginning. He, he showed that Paul demonstrated that salvation was for not only for the Jews but for the Gentiles. Right in two eleven, uh, Romans two eleven through twelve, it says, "For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law." God shows no partiality. He doesn't care who you are. You need Jesus. And Peter recognized the very exact same thing in Acts 10, 34 through 36. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, because he is Lord of all. Because of Jesus, we're all the same as far as God's concerned. No partiality. And in this example, Jesus uses a rich and a poor man. And when we treat people differently because of their income or their social status, we're not seeing the world through God's eyes. We're looking at them through the lenses of the world. We're assigning their value by what the world sees as valuable. And I want to tell you right now that what the world sees as valuable is not the same as what God sees as valuable. God wants people that are faithful, who love him, who will serve him. The world just thinks that if, the more money you have, the nicer car, the prettier girl, you know, whatever it is, and the, the more successful you are. And we have to be careful that we're not doing the same things. You know, and, and, and I'm no different. As a pastor, I'm probably just more susceptible to it because, you know, the truth is is that churches cost money. Churches cost money to run. There's, there's no, no two ways about it. You know, people think, oh, the church just wants our money. Some of us are just trying to keep the lights on, keep the rent paid, so we can have a place that we can come together like this. And it, it's, it's real easy to, to think, man, if we just had some rich people come in here, everything would be better. But the truth is, is that I would rather have people get saved than not have any money. We'll, God will take care of that. God's going to bring finances. We want people to be touched. We want people to be saved. And that's what we care about. So if you've ever come in this place, I hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you came from because we just want to, to show you that we love you, we care about you, and by doing so, we want you to see that Jesus loves you through us because God loves you more than, than you could ever imagine. And if God thinks you're good enough, then I sure as heck do. Amen? But he says that when we do this, when we judge the, the, the rich person saying, you sit here while the poor person says, you stand over there, he says, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and have you become judges with evil thoughts? What does he mean? There? why evil thoughts? What is he, what is he talking about? It's because usually when we make these distinctions, we're doing it with thoughts that have to do with with, with our own gain. You know, particularly with the financial thing, like, ooh, you know, if somebody comes in here and they got a lot of money and we treat them really good, then, then you know, maybe they're going to put a bunch of extra in the offering plate. Or I know when I was growing up, I wasn't the, the greatest kid. I was a little bit selfish. But there was this this uh a girl and, and her brother who were friends of ours, but she had a job. I, I wasn't working yet. I was probably fourteen. She was sixteen and working had a car and and uh uh in retrospect I realized that I was a really big jerk. But she obviously liked me and I didn't, but she kept giving me stuff. You know, I got a super nintendo, she would take us up to she would take us up to uh uh to Tucson to go to golf and stuff, or to the water park, you know, Justin's Water World. And, and I remember at the time, I didn't really think anything of it, my, but my mom found out that she had given me the Super Nintendo, and she made me give it back. My mom was ticked off, and I didn't really understand, but that's why I was making a distinction. I was, I was being more favorable and, and, and than I, I would have maybe normally just to, for personal gain. And I was making distinctions. And the same is true you know, for me back then or, or in the church today. We have to be very careful that we're not making distinctions. Because usually when we do, it's, it's about how can we gain from it. You know, at the moment we do that, we begin to deem someone more valuable than somebody else. And we forget that God has treated us all as equal. And he has given us a value. You know how you determine the value of something? It's what somebody is willing to pay for it. That's how houses are valued. You know, when you go and get your house appraised, one of the things they do is check houses, similar houses around you. What have they sold for? Because if somebody's paid more for it, then now your house is inherently worth more. Well, I want you to know that you are worth the life of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. God paid his son for you. He gave his life for yours. For all of us. Which means that we're all equally valuable. You see, if a visitor comes into our church and they're a Christian, we accept them and we love them because of what Christ has done for them. Because they're no longer who they were. They have Christ inside of them, and we see them as as Christ. And if they come in and they're, they're not a Christian, they're not saved, we still love them because what was paid for them, Christ was given for them. And that should color all of our actions with anybody. Amen? Amen. And then in James 2, 5-7, it says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not, God, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and are the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So James just got done by talking about showing partiality, right? That we're not supposed to. And now he points out that, you know, when you do that, you're actually, even in a worldly sense, you're kind of acting kind of crazy because the very people that you're trying to lift up, these rich people, are the same people that are dragging you into court, are the same people who are oppressing you and, and keeping you down. He says, these very people that you're trying to somehow appease are the ones that hate you anyway. Why would you act that way? Because those very same people have a tendency to hold down Uh, those who are chosen by God to be heirs of the kingdom of God. That's one thing that you'll see, particularly with finances, is is usually the more money people have, the richer they have, the less they think they need God because they think they have it figured out themselves. I know this from experience as well. I spent a lot of my life figuring I could do everything on my own. And the funny thing is, is I look back and God was with me the whole time. So patient with me. So very patient with me for years. But I thought that everything I touched turned to gold because, you know, something was awesome about me. And finally, God's like, you know what? Go ahead. Take the reins for a second. And wouldn't you know, everything fell apart around me. Everything. Bankruptcy. My wife almost left me. You know, like, my world crumbled around me. And I realized that, wait a minute, it was God with me this whole time. God was, isn't it awesome how God is so patient? He still looks out for you when you're being an idiot. I thank God for that because I'm an idiot a lot. And, uh, but he's so patient with me. He loves me so much. And he's just like, oh, come on. You know, sometimes I think he just said, come on. You can do it, boy. Because I do dumb more often than I should. But I thought I could do it on my own. I thought that I could, and, and that's a problem with money. That's why Jesus said it's, it's, so, it's almost impossible for a rich man to get into heaven because their reliance is on their money and not on God. I also personally think that the reason so many poor people have such great faith is because they have little else to steal their faith away. I mean, they don't have money. They don't have any of that stuff. You know, they don't have their 401K. They don't have, they don't have any of that stuff. They've got to trust in God because there's nothing else. And it doesn't matter, because they're no less than anybody else. God loves them the same, and God takes care of them. Paul addresses the Corinthian church with as much. In 1 Corinthians one twenty-six through 26-27, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the the strong. Talk about a backhanded compliment, huh? (laughs) But that's good because that's what we need for, when you have, when all that other stuff gets out of the way, then you can serve God. Does that mean that if you have some money that you can't serve God? No. If you just make sure your eyes are on the right place. And I tell you what, for, you know, as you guys know, I'm bivocational. I work um, I make a lot more money doing what I do now, working for the computer company that I work for, than I ever did years and years ago when I first got saved. Because I honored God, and God kept honoring me. Matter of fact, I'm waiting for the official offer, but as you guys know, you're praying for me. I just got offered uh, verbally that job that I've been trying to get, which should be a significant raise. There's nothing special about me. I've just honored God, and God honors me. He'll do the same for you. If you honor Him, He will honor you. And he's continued to, to take care of me all these years. And now I'm in a position where most people would consider me much better off. Actually, and it's not even considered. It's a fact. I'm blessed. We make great money, my wife and I. Which is good because it allows us to do what we do here. I haven't, we haven't received anything. We've never received any paycheck or any money from here. Because we're not doing it for the money. We're doing it because we want to serve God. And I pray that someday that we'll grow big enough that I can go full-time and I can make enough income here to take care of my family. I don't have to work, and that's the plan. But God's going to take care of me no matter what, no matter how it goes. We're going to keep going on, and we're going to keep as we honor him. And the same is true. There's nothing special about me. Matter of fact, if you guys knew everything about me, you'd be like, actually, I'm in a much better place than him. God's not looking for rich people. He's not looking for talented people. He's looking for people that will trust Him and that love Him. And to be clear, it's 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 not your poorness that secures your position in the kingdom of heaven. It's not your you know. There was a, a time there where everyone was everyone was Christians gotta figure we gotta make ourselves as low as we can because you know the lower we are, the more the more humble we are, the more spiritual we are. That's not true either. God wants you to be to prosper, God wants you to be blessed. Because once you have given your heart to God, then he can start giving you those resources because you know he knows that you'll use it for him. If he gives you if all of a sudden you win the lottery and you're not serving God, I mean we look at so many people that have won the lotteries, their lives are just destroyed. Within a couple of years, they're broker than they ever were before. And on top of that, they have drug addictions and all these other stuff going along with it and debts. And and because they weren't ready for what, what they have been given. But if you're ready, God will. The, the Pastor Mike says it this way. He says, if God can get it uh, through you, he'll get it to you. And that's really not what we're talking about today. But hallelujah. <laughs> But it's not their poorness that secures them in the kingdom of heaven. It's nobody's richness. does, It's just they have their eyes on God. And, and he's making a point here. These, these very people that you're trying to honor, these were the, the type of men and women that tended to dishonor the poor. These very people they were lifting up tended to dishonor the poor. It was the rich and worldly that were trying to oppress those, especially those who were first getting into the kingdom of heaven. The, the, the rich people at the time, they were trying to oppress them and hold them down. The church was, was the enemy was using these people to try to destroy the church at that time. And in, in that time, they could drag you in the court for anything. Matter of fact, in the Roman courts, people of lower status couldn't even take someone of higher status into court. Did you know that? The rich could the, take the court into the court, but if you were poor, you couldn't take the rich in the court. You were just out of luck. And in the Jewish courts, the goal was to treat people equally, but the richer and more affluent, people could articulate their case better than, or hire people to do so. And it's much the same today. We see it today. I mean, uh, the, the more money you have, the, the more you can get out of legally. And that's just a fact. You know, that was the whole, the whole big thing about the OJ case, remember? <laughs> he had enough money to, to, to get out from underneath what was going on. But it's these same people with these, this, this high social and worldly status that we're treating these people like garbage. It's like, why would you treat them differently than someone who's poor? Treat them all the same. And the truth is, just because someone's rich doesn't mean we should treat them poorly. It's not the opposite. See Jesus in them. As Christians, we should actually see this inherently. This should stir something up inside of us when we see people treated like that. And if I were to treat someone who was a millionaire different as they were to walk in here, because I'm hoping for his support, I'm actually dishonoring what Jesus did for all of us and for him. So as he's going on here, we need to make sure that we're seeing people through Jesus' eyes. Amen? And then in James 2, 8-9, it says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. Did you know that loving your neighbor as yourself pretty much sums up most of the law? That, that covers almost everything except for the love, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Those two, which are just love, love God and love your neighbor, sum up the entire law. Did you know that if you love your neighbor, you're not going to lie about him? you know that if you love your neighbor, you're not going to try to, to steal his wife or, or, or her husband? If you love your neighbor, you're definitely not going to murder them, right? And if you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet the things that they will have because if you love them, you're actually going to be rooting for them. You want them to be blessed. You want them to succeed, not hoping to have what they have. If we would just love people, that would solve most of our problems. That and understand that you don't have to agree with somebody to love them. Jesus said it is one of the greatest commandments. In Mark 12, 28-31, he says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Do you know there's no commandment to love yourself? Yeah, we're pretty good at doing that without being told. That's why he doesn't have to tell us to do that. You know, if you will keep both of those commandments, you'll have kept every commandment. If you will just love God and love people, then you will walk the life that God called you to live. You don't even have to think about it. You know, people are so worried, Like, especially when people get newly saved, they, they want to figure out what they're allowed to do and whether what what they're not allowed to do. Anybody ever been there? I've, been, I, I've said stuff like that. But the truth is, if you just love people and love God, all that stuff just get, disappears. It falls by the wayside. And unfortunately, the truth is that we've all failed in these. And in doing so, we've failed in all the commandments. The truth is, is that if you, what he says here is if you, if you, uh, uh, you're committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. If you just, if you just do one thing that's not part of the law, then you're a transgressor. And we've all failed in these things. But the great news is that Jesus fulfilled the law. That's what he came to do is fulfill the law. Because what is the penalty for all these things? The penalty of sin is death. But he came and he fulfilled it. He understood, God understood that we have all broken this stuff and that something needed to be done. We had to be paid for it. Jesus came, gave his life for us to fulfill the law. Not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. The law didn't go anywhere. It's not, it's not done. God did not change all of a sudden and say, oh, these things aren't important anymore. They were. And they had to be dealt with. So Jesus came and gave his life so that they could be dealt with. And then he rose again and gave us a newness of life that actually freed us from sin and and guilt and shame and death. He paid the penalty and the ultimate result is that we can live these two out in our lives now. But he says that when we show partiality, we're actually being a transgressor of the law. Romans 13, 8-10 says, Oh no, in anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. You know, it's true that we're actually no longer subject to the individual specific subjects of the law. We're not not, uh, under those, but God never changes. We're no longer under the law, we're under grace. But God never changes. He's the same today, yesterday and tomorrow, when he said, thou, does not, thou, you know, thou shalt not murder. <clears throat> he didn't change his mind when he sent Jesus. This is still how he intends us to live. The difference is in Jesus. We can finally live that way. And we're not held down by, by sin and, and being in bondage to sin. We're no longer a slave. It has no control over us. You see, the law was what was expected for one who is Holy. And for us, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And the Jews were trying to live according to the law, and they were failing. And when I first learned about Jesus, I was trying to live according to the law. I knew these things that I couldn't do, and every day I would do them, and I'd ask God for forgiveness and feel pretty good. And the next morning, I did them all over again. I was trying to do the right thing, but I couldn't because I hadn't actually really received Jesus. I didn't know you had to receive him. I didn't know that something inside of me had to change. I thought if I wanted to be right with God, I just had to check the marks on the list. These things I couldn't do. But well, we are living from grace in Jesus Christ. We're finally able to live according to the law. That's something that's super important you have to get a hold of. is Without Jesus, you can't live righteously. But with him, you finally can. I believe wholeheartedly that we can live without sin. I understand that it's not likely, but I do believe that we can. In the book of Jude, in 124, Jude 124, it says, Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling... If we will keep our eyes on him, we can walk without stumbling. If we will love our neighbors and love God, we can walk without sinning. It's possible. Although, like I understand, I'm not naive. It's unlikely. But it is possible. But thank God if we do fall, if we do stumble, the Bible says that uh, we have an advocate with the Father. If we do stumble, if we will just get back up, the, the, the Bible says that if the righteous man stumbles seven times or falls seven times, but he gets back up seven times. If you want to be righteous, just get back up. If you fall, get back up. Put your eyes back on Jesus. You stumble, get back up. Put your eyes back on Jesus. And because of what he's done inside of us and the grace that he's given us, we can actually finally live from grace and actually walk out the law. And it's not based on our earning salvation because we're finally free. You're already saved. If you stumble, you don't lose your salvation. But as a result of what's been done in you, it changes the way you live. It changes the way you walk. I mean, how can we live any other way than for Jesus when He's given us so much? In James 2, 10-13, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails on one point, has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. But you know we often try to categorize our infractions? I mean, even the legal system today does it, right? You know, there you actually can't go to, to uh, well. Usually, you can't go to jail for lying. There are certain cases where, if you're committing fraud, you can. But murder will put you in jail for life. You know, we categorize our infractions and, and say, you know, what's what what's what's worse than the other? You know, a, a misdemeanor is not as bad as a felony. But the truth is, is, as far as God's concerned, sin is sin. There is no categorization. There's not one that's worse than the other. Every single one of them will separate you from him. And every single one of them, if you are living under the law, if you commit any of them, then you're a transgressor of the law. You've failed. You've broken the entire law, not just part of it. This is actually what Jesus pointed out to the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier, weightier manners of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says, These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You don't get to pick and choose. This isn't, you know, choose your own religion. You know, this isn't, you know, Geico Christianity or Allstate or whichever the ones where you can pick out the parts that you want. Just because stuff on the surface looks good doesn't mean they weren't breaking the law in other areas. And for us, we have to think of that as well. We can't pick and choose. We honor God with everything that we have. We walk it out. We live it out. And James is currently dealing with showing partiality. And in the case of God's law, there is no difference between the adulterer and the murderer. And it's not like in our legal system where there's differences. Like I said, as far as he's concerned, they're all the same. So just like when we see people, no matter what sin they committed, whether it's atrocious in our eyes or, or a, a little one, they're the same in God's eyes. They still need Jesus, and he went to the cross for them, and they got the same Jesus, took care of the same sins equally. And he's, not making, he's actually not saying that you, he who's writing to, they're Christians. He's not saying that you're under the law. You have to keep all the law or you're broken in. He actually says that you are under the law of liberty. Because in Jesus, you've been set free. matter of fact, now under the law of liberty, we live from freedom. We're actually free to not sin. It doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want. It means we're actually free to not sin. You try to talk to somebody who's not saved and ask them to live without sin, and they can't do it because they're in bondage to it. They're a slave to it. But we're under the law of liberty, which means we're free to live for him, free to, to actually see people as they ought to be seen. I was once whining to Pastor Mike about my son. And instead of being comforted and feeling my faith, can you believe this? Instead of comforting me because I was upset with son, I don't know, it was years ago, I don't remember what you were doing. Because that's, you know, when you're complaining about something, you're just looking for validation. And instead of comforting me, wouldn't you know, he just reminded me of the patience that God has given me. You see, Pastor Mike is good at ruining stuff with Scripture. <laughs> don't ever try to tell a joke in front of that man. Next thing you know, pull out the Bible and just beat your joke down. Because we're under that law of liberty, we need to show mercy instead of judgment. You know, kind of like the way it was shown to us. And the great thing is, is we finally have the freedom to do so. You see, so many people think that, that Christianity is just about a, a list of rules. It's, about, it's a way of life, but It's not. When you got saved, a miracle took place inside of you. And I can't, over, I can't lift that, bring that up enough or overstated enough. A miracle took place inside of you. A supernatural miracle took place inside of you, and your old man was removed, that broken spirit. The dead man was gone, and it was replaced by the Spirit of Christ. You have been made brand new, and now we live from that new spirit. And when God sees us, He sees Jesus. And when we see each other, we should see Jesus. Amen? And we'll go ahead and, and end here. You guys noticed that I didn't tell you how far we were going to get today because that's not been working out for me. So I figured I would either run out of notes or run out of time, one or the other. So we'll go ahead and end there today. And, but the, the focus of today was about sh- not showing partiality. And I think the real focus of today is understanding that when we see people, we should see them through the lenses of Jesus Christ. We should see them with God's eyes. And I think if we would just start doing that, this world would change in ways that you can't even imagine. When we see people you know, at the, at the Circle K begging for money or whatever, and instead of looking at them in judgment, realizing these are people that God loves. That's something that God is always working on. I'm always listening when I see people like that because I don't want to miss the opportunity to share with somebody because I've made a snap judgment about who they are. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that would take advantage of you. But I would rather be taken advantage of ten times and get the one than never be taken advantage of and miss the one. We have to see them as Jesus sees them. And it may not make a difference. You know, we can help people. We can show them love. We may never see them again. They may not come to church. They may forget us. But maybe we planted a seed and we made a difference in life. Because one thing I can guarantee you is if you don't show them love, you're planting a seed as well, but it's not going to produce the kind of fruit that you want. We can actually push people away when we judge them and we treat them differently. And if you don't think that's true, just look at the way the media and probably a lot of your friends perceive Christians, right? They're just hypocrites. It's because so many of us have lived that way. So this morning, I want to challenge you. Let's stop seeing people in our own eyes, in our own flesh, the way the world sees them, but instead, let's look at them how God sees them. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to your feet.